Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Hey friends, I hope everyone is doing well. This is the last episode for PWS Awareness Month 2021. So thank you all for being a part of this, listening, sharing the episodes, reaching out on social media, etc. I hope that it has been informative and has helped you feel uh, connected and like you are not alone. So there is still almost a week left. So I'll, I'll be posting on my Instagram account, the Walking with Frey Instagram, Instagram account, and also on Facebook on the page PWS Community Challenge. So go ahead and keep checking those out and uh, you can get in touch over there if you want. So for May, Freya's class did a fitness challenge along with her this month and some kids gathered donations to be made to FPWR. I haven't gotten all those in yet, but I will put that into my, I'll put that number on my Instagram account when I do know the amount. And one thing to note is that if you're donating to FPWR, Foundation for Prada Willie Research, there is a donor who through by till the end of May is matching donations up to $100,000. So get those donations in this month. That would be awesome. And if you want to know more about what FPWR does, you can go to their website. They're easy to find, FPWR. Um, I also did an interview with Susan Hedstrom and a few weeks ago. So you can check that out as well. As far as the fitness challenge for her class, one of the best parts was watching Freya grow stronger. It was great to see her peers join in and support her in this way, but it was really great to see how much stronger Freya got. So there is also, and this is where the idea for me came from, there is a group, Dr. Miller's PWS Challenge Club. That is also a group on Facebook inspired by Dr. Miller and the PWS uh, endocrinologist, pediatric endocrinologist, and amazing, wonderful advocate for the community. And her and another mom started this group, I believe. And anyway, it's just a gathering of families. They do a different fitness challenge every month. And you have support on the Facebook group. And it's just really, it's really great. We've done a few of the challenges, a few of the months. Um, But in April, they did It was a sit-up challenge, and so we started April 1st, and on April 1st, Freya could not do one sit-up, not one single sit-up, and we carried the sit-up movement through our fitness challenge with her her peers in her class, and so the last day to to get the, um, the challenge papers in was Friday, and Freya did 20 sit-ups, so in just under two months, she has gained enough strength to be able to do 20 sit-ups. And now that's with me holding her feet, uh, which I think is a pretty normal thing for people to need. I need it. Um, <laughs> actually, my, my eight-year-old uh, needs it as well. So 
I am incredibly, incredibly impressed. And I'm hoping that we're going to keep that going. But I'm not going to lie, we're human. And things like sit-ups and push-ups still really feel like a chore. And so without a challenge looming over us, it is less likely to happen. So I got to come up with new ways to keep us motivated, create another challenge or something to keep us going because they are so hard. (laughs) So I do have a few more episodes after this one, uh, not directly PWS related for the whole special needs community. And one is with the founder of Worth the Conversation, and she is equipping the Down syndrome community to prevent child sexual abuse through education and empowerment. And of course, most of what we discussed relates to the entire special needs community, so definitely check that out. So it's an incredibly valuable, valuable interview and conversation, of course. And another is an interview that I have yet to do, but is with a fellow special needs mom, special education teacher, and the owner of a special needs tutoring and advocacy business. So look for those episodes coming out in June. And then I will be off of podcasting for the summer and we'll see what lies ahead. So, um, but for now, I hope that you enjoy this episode with Kate Fox. She is a dietitian from Australia who works with PWS families. We talk feeding tubes, macronutrients, complex carbs, the Mediterranean diet, and what Kate has to offer the PWS community. She is a great resource to have on our side, so please check out her website and her Instagram account of the same name, and it is Kate Fox Dietitian, her website, dot com. Uh, so that's C-A-T-E-F-O-X-D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. Now, <laughs> uh, I am a great speller usually. And I struggled with dietitian because I wanted to keep putting a C in it. And so I looked it up. So here's a little factoid for you all. I got this off Wikipedia and it says the spelling. So the spelling of dietitian with T that's T-I-A-N instead of C-I-A-N, which is how I was wanting to spell it. So the spelling with T is the one preferred by the profession itself internationally. But the spelling with C, which is how my uh, lay woman's mind wanted to spell it, is off is used often enough in text not written by members of the profession to be considered a valid variant by both American and British dictionaries. So either one is correct, but if you want to be professional, use a T. And that's how Kate uh, spells it. So hopefully that little factoid was interesting enough for you. (laughs) Moving on from that, you know, leave a review, leave a rating, tell a friend, send me an email, send me a message on Instagram, just say hi that you're listening, any of that stuff. And without any further rambling or random factoids, here is my conversation with Kate Fox. Thanks for being here. I'm Kate Fox. I'm a dietitian here in Australia. I've been a dietitian for over 10 years now, but um, PWS kind of came into my world about four years ago when my niece was diagnosed. And up until that time, I hadn't really, I hadn't really worked with any clients with PWS, but when she was born, I kind of 
dived head first into the PWS world and researching everything that I could. And yeah, now I help families with other kids with PWS um, to try and get them to kind of be at a, have a little bit of peace with the nutrition side of PWS, I, I would like to think is what I help to them achieve. Great. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was my next question was how you got involved in the PWS community. So, um, so you answered that your niece, you said four years ago, she was born. Yeah, She just turned four. Um, and yeah, she is doing really well, but, um, yeah, it's a, it was a big change for our family and then even changed my professional, um, relationship Mm -hmm. and trajectory of where I'm going with being a dietitian. So it's been a big four years. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. So I was checking out your website and one of the things that you, you said that you help families through is tube feeding. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't really sure the question I had here, but I thought maybe I could give you a little bit of the scenario of Freya's beginning and you can maybe give me your advice of what, (laughs) what we could have done differently. So Freya was born uh, three weeks early um, at the local birth center she was not taken to the NICU. Um, we, I don't know if we had been in a bigger, we're in kind of a rural area. If mm-hmm. I wonder if we had been in a, in a city hospital and a bigger hospital, if maybe they would have taken her to the NICU. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, my milk came in, so like it was flowing well. So she started gaining weight, even though she was having problems, uh, with her suck. And yeah. so they, she was gaining weight. They said, you can take her home. And then, you know, it was two weeks of just really struggling to get her to gain weight because and she was actually losing weight. And so eventually um, I saw a lactation consultant and she had me put her on a bottle. So then I was pumping and giving her the bottle and she still wasn't gaining weight as fast as they wanted her to. So then her pediatrician, who was very close to retirement, so he, you know, he was, he was older, um, yeah. Uh, you know, had me, he had me at first put olive oil in her bottle. Mm-hmm. So we tried that for a while. And then we just switched to adding some formula to the milk. Um, mm-hmm. So she never did get the feeding tube, um, but it, it was a real struggle to get her to gain weight. And I just wonder if like, I think back to like putting the olive oil in her bottle, like, is that archaic? Is that like, I don't know. What's your opinion on how that went? <laughs> and adding fats and oil, like fat, extra calories to um, to her feeds. And you definitely can supplement um, milk feeds, the breast milk or formula with just high calorie, high oil based supplements. So it's not really any different. It's, you know, it's natural. It's olive oil. Um, I don't necessarily think it's something I don't, I haven't heard of it. <laughs> um, I haven't heard of people doing it these days. Um, definitely not here in Australia, but perhaps it is because yeah, you, you went to, um, just a smaller, smaller area. Um, and it wasn't the NICU side of things. Um, cause most of the kids that I come across have come through either a children's hospital or a, um, or a bigger tertiary hospital here in Australia. Um, and they, they get the tube placed pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a couple of days old, if they're not sucking or they're not alert enough to um, to feed and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, that was, yeah, that was the thing. She didn't have the muscle strength to suck. And she was also, we couldn't keep her awake. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, so as far as tube feeding goes, is there, are there like common obstacles that, that parents face or, um, I guess the goal is always to get off the tube as early as possible. Um, no one wants to, their baby to be tube fed if they don't need to be, but, um, I guess getting off that at the right time is one of the biggest obstac obstacles. Um, we want to make sure that the child is growing adequately and getting enough calories and is awake to take their feeds, whether that is, you know, go back to the breast or um, through bottle feeds. So it's, um, it is an obstacle of how we get, how quickly we can get off the tube. Um, and that really just depends on the child, um, the infant, if, you know, how awake they, you know, when they get that, they, they turn that corner and wake up that little bit more, um, whether what, whether they start on growth hormone, at what age they start on growth hormone. So um, here in Australia, our babies aren't necessarily put on growth hormone straight away or early. Sometimes it's a bit of a fight to get doctors to start them on growth hormone. Um, so yeah, they might, they might be quite old before they start there. So, you know, that might be a little bit longer time on, on the tube, unfortunately, than, than we would like. Um, and then it's also like the feeding aversion. So, um, you know, it's making sure that their suck and swallow is adequate to take solids, um, cause that's going to be dependent on each infant and each you know each person with PWS presents very differently and uh, we want to make sure that they're eating well when they do start solids if the tube is still in um, and then but then that can kind of you know are they full you know are they you know are they getting so much milk and constant milk feeds from the tube are they even allowed to get hungry um, for, for their solid foods so there's quite a few obstacles there um, but it's just kind of managing each each infant individually and working what their needs are and, you know, getting off that tube as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. okay. It can be a challenge though. Yeah. Well, yeah, I remember seeing posts from parents, you know, kind of dealing with that, how to, how to get their, if it was the right time to get off the tube or, you know, I just, it was a part of the journey that we never experienced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So but she, you know Freya must have been doing okay without it yeah she did okay I mean it was scary for a couple months it was a struggle um you know but yeah she she made it yeah. <laughs> well and then um and maybe this goes into my next question um about the macronutrients um because yeah. I had an, another kind of uh story about that but do you want to do you mind explaining what macronutrients are yeah. So macronutrients are our um, they are carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. So on the other hand, we have our micronutrients, which are vitamins and minerals. So I guess optimal amounts of macronutrients and making sure that they're correct proportions in the diet isn't necessarily um, something that it has to be followed very strictly in the beginning. So not just straight off tube feeding, mm -hmm. straight into making sure that macronutrients are um, balanced completely, but more so possibly for when they're a little bit older. Um, but we do want to make sure that 
the child is getting um, good amounts of carbohydrates for growth and brain development. They're getting good amounts of protein for muscle strength and also for development and then good amounts of fat, healthy fats. Um, so trying to get that balance across meals because, um, you know, sometimes it's very easy to feed children carbo- a very carbohydrate diet and lots of families are following very low carbohydrate diets. So trying to get the right amount for the child at that particular age, because carbohydrates are still really important in that young, you know, that first year of life, the first couple of years of life um, to make sure that they are growing and developing appropriately. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I, so I started kind of not actually counting calories, but I was really Mm -hmm. careful with um, what I was feeding Freya, even from the start. And she was two, you know, a little over two, almost two and a half and still not walking. And we Mm -hmm. saw Dr. Miller, the specialist in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I was telling her, you know, about how I was really trying, you know, I was like, I was really proud of myself. I was like, yeah, I've really got the diet under control and blah, blah, blah. And, And she said, Annie, stop stop doing that. Like she's too young. You're not, you're not there. You don't like, don't count calories. Don't do any of that stuff. And she was like, I think she needs to eat more. And I, so I started feeding her more and within weeks she was walking Mm -hmm. and I just felt like a horrible mother. (laughs) I mean, I wasn't starving her, but I was so like caught up in this whole, like, well, we got to start young with good, Mm -hmm. with good nutrition and with, you know, Um, and, uh, so then to see, to see just what, and I don't think it was a coincidence. I think that it probably really did have an effect. I started feeding her more and being less careful. Yes. And I think that is, um, a really common theme in, you know, in PWS families, it's the, they're so worried that they're of the, the weight gain or the hyperphagia starting and they restrict too much perhaps in those early, early years, so just really working with families to try and uh, understand that, yeah, carbohydrates are good at this stage. There are good and bad carbohydrates. Um, so focusing on those good complex uh, grains and fruits and vegetables and those type of things um, that provide adequate carbs um, without the sugars or the, the processed um, foods um, for growth and development and making sure the child is eating enough and growing appropriately for them. Um, but that's going to look different for every child. <laughs> and mm-hmm. often I get the question of, you know, how much, how much do we need? And it's, it's, it's so different for everyone. Um, so it really is based off the individual assessment of the child. And it's very hard to put something on social media of, you know, a portion when, when it's so, so different for every child, it's not going to um, be that amount for each, each, even a four-year-old is going to be different from four-year-old to four-year-old. So it can mm-hmm. be a bit of a struggle, but trying to get that balance right is is um is good. You want to do that in the beginning, but yeah, making sure that you are giving enough food as well, mm-hmm. not being over restrictive. Yeah, that's how yeah. I come. <laughs> yeah, I definitely learned my lesson with that one. So, do you have any suggestions on, or is it even possible to? can the daytime sleepiness that a lot of kids with PWS experience and my daughter's experiencing this now, you know, just getting back to school at the end of the day, she's just so exhausted and has a hard time. The teacher suggested maybe an extra snack after lunch. 
and uh, which I just thought was interesting. That's not usually something that we suggest for kids with PWS is more food, but, um, you know, like, do you, is that a thing? Is that something that you think could help? Yeah, it it really depends on, um, you know, everything that's going on in the, the child with PWS, you know, is their weight stable? Is their weight, you know, what are you trying to do, manage out with the weight? But then looking with the types of foods that you're giving. So um, making sure there is really good complex carbohydrates that are prolonging the energy release throughout the day. Um, usually we're, you know, we're concentrating on complex grains like um, quinoa, frica, brown rice, whole wheat pasta, those type of um, carbohydrates with vegetables and starchy vegetables and other vegetables to kind of give you that long lasting energy um, to try and not, I guess if you're having a short release carbohydrates or something a little bit more processed, your, your energy peaks and then drops really quickly. So that's why we want to have, um, I'm not sure if you've heard the term glycemic index, but low glycemic index foods. Um, and these are foods that release the carbohydrates slowly into the bloodstream. And then they release the energy slower throughout the day. Um, so they can try and prolong that energy release um, a little bit longer rather than having a spike and then a crash, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, it does make sense, yeah. Yeah, so sometimes a little, uh, an extra snack um, could be helpful depending on their their day and their activities and um, what they are eating or when they can eat. Um, and also it might just be an, an extra small portion of a particular food. So even just a extra tablespoon of carbohydrates at lunchtime or um, after dinner or where, whenever they're feeling that more fatigued um, that time. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of getting that balance. And sometimes it is a bit of a trial and error as well. Um, it's not always going to you know, do this and it's going to miraculously work. <laughs> um, nutrition isn't an exact science. It's um, it's a lot of gray in the black and white. So um, yeah, it is a little bit of trial and error sometimes. Yeah. In what's best for the child and what the child responds to as well. Um, but yeah, the sleepiness is a bit of a challenge for some. Um, and it must be hard going back to school after <laughs> so long of, of being off you guys had such a long time of being off mm-hmm. yeah it was it was actually really nice <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to go back. yeah so do you have um some are there some like common foods that you know I know there are different approaches to to nutrition with PWS but do you yeah. in your work do you have like um, foods that you suggest, you know, just stay, just stay away from these, keep these out. I mean, or is it, or, cause I know like the children's Institute of Pittsburgh, I think that's who it is to the red, yellow, green light yep. uh, menu. So um, yeah. Uh, I really like um, the Mediterranean style approach for PWS. I, I think the Mediterranean style approach is really great for, you know, everybody to follow, um, regardless of whether you have PWS or not. Um, it has so many benefits for heart health and brain health and can even prevent um, cancers and add years to life. It's been proven to benefit fertility and everything. So there's so many benefits to the Mediterranean style. And I think with the Mediterranean style, it is very practical as well. 
Um, they're, they're not, it's not eating foods or restricting too many foods that aren't um, in your everyday, you know, they're not, they're in your supermarket all the time. They're available mostly. Uh, so it's not hard to get um, usually, depending on where you live, I guess. Um, but so I do like that style of approach. Um, I think it is really easy, I guess, for some people to follow. The foods that I guess I really avoid, um, and it is different for each family, because if I get a client who's come to me for the first time and they've got a teenage child who's particularly um, set on a, a particular food, then I try and work with that. But, um, you know, most of my clients are young, they're, they're, you know, the zero to five age group, and you can, I guess, change their diet a little bit easier. They haven't been set in their ways too, too much. Um, so just trying to avoid, you know, added sugars and processed foods wherever possible. Um, if the family are capable of, you know, making from scratch, then encouraging that. But also, you know, families are busy and there's always more than one child usually in the family. So it's trying to cater for everybody's needs as well. So looking for foods that maybe are a better option at the supermarket other than, you know, not necessarily saying you, you mustn't have that or you can't have that. Um, obviously things that aren't going to provide a lot of nutrition uh, are best avoided, particularly you don't want to be, I, I don't want to be taking things away from kids later on. So if you try and start early with the, um, you know, setting them up with good habits and the foods that you want to eat, the you know whole foods, foods that are natural, foods that are grown on a tree or in the ground or come from the animal. Um, I like the saying of, you know, foods that your great grandmother would have recommend, recognized as food. Mm, so, like that. Yeah. So not processed things and food that actually looks like food. Um, and, and that can kind of ease some families, I guess, you know, that those foods are in abundance and we want to kind of focus on those um, rather than focusing on all the foods that they can't have. Um, they're obviously, they know, I think most families know that, you know, we don't want to be adding too many sugars to the diet. We don't want to be adding too many sweet foods to the diet. Um, foods that aren't giving them anything like soft drink is not giving you anything other than a, a, a taste. So trying to avoid those non-nutritive foods wherever possible. Um, but again, all families are different and all families will have their, um, their foods that they will absolutely say no to. And then their foods that they might include on occasion, their child might be allowed to eat at a certain event or something. And, and working with that, um, I think, is really important for, for the family structure and the family to survive long term. <laughs> um, because yeah. life is life is not black and white. It's not just on paper. Yeah, we want to be practical. I, like I try to be practical with my approach to to each family um, and taking their individual preferences into account um, but just trying to focus on those whole foods that Mediterranean style approach and trying to avoid any non-nutritive foods um, as much as possible because they're not really they're not giving us anything um, right anything of value to our diets so that's why they're called empty calories right? and yeah empty calories exactly um, there's just, especially if your child is on a calorie restrictive diet later, you know, later in life, um, then we want to make sure that what they are getting, every mouthful should count to something. 
So -hmm. we don't want to be giving those empty calories. Well, so for those who don't know, do you mind explaining briefly what the Mediterranean approach is? Yeah. So I guess the Mediterranean diet stems from the area of the Mediterranean Sea, you know, countries such as Greece, Spain, Italy, and they follow a more traditional style food food options, I guess, that are really come from the land or the sea. Um, so whole foods that are grown um, from a tree or in the ground, lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of seafood rather than red meat. Um, so being living on the coast, then um, lots of seafood is in abundance. So lots of salmon. Lots of, they use lots of things like olive oil um, and olives grow in that region. So good, healthy fats. And evidence shows that the good, healthy fats is really protective of our heart and brain and body systems. So um, it's just a really natural way of eating, I guess. Um, very, like, like I said before, the, you know, what your grand, great-grandmother would recognise as food. So none of the processed, packaged foods that we see in the supermarkets today very whole very wholesome and um yeah natural yeah we're um my husband's a fisherman so um we're pretty lucky that we have a lot of fish available but uh I didn't grow up eating fish so I don't really um I'm still learning how to (laughs) cook it and include it into our diet more (laughs) yeah it's hard I I I think in Australia here too we don't eat uh, we Depends. You, you might eat seafood at certain times of the year, but not necessarily all the time throughout the year. Our red meat is still pretty prominent here in Australia. Um, yeah. So just kind of including a few fish sources or seafood sources into the week is beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like they do. So let's talk about what you offer families and where people can find you if they um, yeah. if they want to do some consultation with you. Yeah. Um, so I offer one-to-one consultations um, all around the world. Uh, you can usually find a time that works for, for us. Um, I have um, some ebooks, some some recipe ebooks available on my website. Um, it's just a couple at the moment. I'm hoping to expand that a lot this year or the coming years. And uh, you can find me at Instagram and Facebook at Kate Fox Dietitian. And I also have started a a Facebook group for families just to share recipes and information and general ideas about um, helping their their little ones. Mm, Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I think I, uh, I believe I just joined your Facebook group. So I'm always looking for more recipes and- Because I feel like, yeah, I feel like I just get stuck in a rut of cooking the same stuff. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to, to get some more recipes. Yes. I think everyone is a bit like that. So, um, just sharing, um, what I find or what, what I can adapt to, to life. But, you know, I don't, I don't live with PWS every day, so it's hard to, um, to come up with new things, I guess, all the time, but um, just kind of searching and looking for ideas for everyone um, that, that might be appropriate for some people.